Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hi, and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. This is Paige Bruce, um, or also known as Parenting with Paige. Um, This week, I wanted to take a minute to talk about awfulizing. So I work with kids and teens and adults. I work with people of all ages, so I don't even know why I said that. I straight up lied to you guys. But one of my um, preteens last week was talking in session, and they talked about having anxiety as just awfulizing things. They were just awfulizing everything, um, and they wish they could stop awfulizing so things could be amazing. And I thought that that was just the best description of anxiety, and I was curious how many people experienced anxiety as a type of awfulizing. Like we are just making things awful when it doesn't need to be Um, by overthinking it, by panicking, by um, having specific expectations or needing a certain level of perfection. So this week I wanted to talk and when you Google anxiety, it talks about um, a bunch of headlines come up, a bunch of clickbait. One of them that made, caught my attention and I clicked on it was how to stop feeling anxious right now. And I thought that that was really interesting because how often do we want to stop feeling anxious or stop having anxiety right now? But that heading and that phrase is just that clickbait because there isn't a magic eraser. I wish there was Mr. Clean or a magic wand or a method that can make us stop feeling anxious or stop having anxiety right now. I even went as far as doing a poll in our private Facebook group. If you're not part of that community, please look into it. Because if you listen to our podcast, that private Facebook group, it's called Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. It's private, so you have to request to join. Um, But that is where Lindsay and I get to engage with most of our people, most of you guys. So if you aren't in our Facebook group, you're missing out on some of our most valuable information or valuable feedback. We answer questions. We have free classes. Um, We had somebody come and do a free cooking class. It was super fun. But I did a poll in there and 76%, I have 1,200 members in our group, right? And we answer questions back and forth. We seek advice. We share funny parenting memes. But 76% of the group talked about how they were awfulizing over the week. So this week, I'm very passionate about talking about awfulizing and anxiety and how to help us work through anxiety and how to help our kids work through anxiety. One of the things that I talk about a lot is modeling with our kids and how Our kids are going to, uh, what is it, do what we do and not what we say. I know that's not the right saying, but that is literally what happens. They learn based on what they see us do and what we are modeling, not what we're saying. And one of the number one um, tells of an anxious kiddo is having anxious parents, right? 
So I have some examples and some, I think, just like basic skills that I want to talk through to help us not awfulize as much. So the first thing I want you to know is when you experience anxiety, it's normal. Feeling anxious, nervous, scared, uncertain, uncomfortable, those are all normal emotions. I think exposure to so much social media and other people experiencing anxiety and different levels of anxiety or panic attacks almost sometimes makes it seem like a foreign thing. Like, oh, I'm having anxiety. I must have generalized anxiety disorder. Or I something's wrong with me because I'm anxious. Or my kid is asking all these what if questions, right? That's not the case. Your anxiety response is a normal response. And I want you to hold on to that and embrace it. It makes a lot of sense when, you know, way back in the day when we're cave people, we feel anxious, right? Because we're entering the fight or flight response, the stress response. And Lindsay and I talk about this a lot. And we need to quite literally fight or flee for our life. Now, modern society, we're not doing that as often. Sometimes we are. God forbid that's you. I do not want that to be the case for you. I'd much rather your anxiety response be based on something else. Not life-threatening. But here's the thing. Our brain does not differentiate between emotional threats and physical threats to safety. That type of danger is interpreted the same. So we're going to have an anxiety response even for things that we make up in our own brains and like scenarios that we run in our own heads because our, our brain cannot, the fight or flight response cannot differentiate between like, Oh, this isn't real versus this is because it is a primal system in our body. We've talked about it before ways to close our stress cycle. We've talked about um, parasympathetic breathing and how like, Breathing, exhaling longer than you inhale helps biologically reset your body to move you out of the system, right? So sometimes we take deep breaths. Uh, Primal screaming is a thing. So sometimes I just get like really worked up and I'm just like, ah, well, it's a way to move it out of our body. Okay. But what I want you to know is that your, your stress response is normal. It's doing its job. And if it needed you to fight or flee for your life, Like that's what it's there for. However, our brain can't interpret between that or like, let's say multiple hate comments on a post we put on social media or somebody judging us based on a picture. Okay. So there's a couple things I want to talk about as we dive into it. And the first one is I want to talk about gauging a reaction. So... One of my kids, my middle kiddo, is five, almost six. I had to think about it. I'm sure we all do. (laughs) But she is very passionate. Um, And so when she is hurt physically or emotionally, she has these big explosive reactions. And for her, they're big crying reactions, not necessarily like acting out and hurting anybody. Like she'll yell really loud out of frustration or she'll start wailing um, and crying just so like, deeply wounded. And so what we've started doing is talking about buckets. And so when something happens, we go, okay, 
I hear you validate the emotion first, right? Wow. It's really frustrating that you don't feel like people are hearing you right now. It's really frustrating that no one's listening to what you're saying. Or the real life example would be she wanted a Lego that her sister had because she had it first. She was building something and she gets really into her creative arts. And so she's building this elaborate Lego piece and her sister took one of the very necessary Lego pieces that she needed. So she's wailing and screaming. And so, you know, I gave her a hug and I was like, you're feeling really frustrated because your sister took the Lego that you need. It's like, is this a, a little bucket problem or a big bucket problem? And what are those? So in our house and in our family, a little bucket problem is something that we can problem solve by ourselves using our words. A big bucket problem is one where we have big reactions and we need to ask for outside help. Little bucket problem is we have little reactions and we can usually solve it on our own or with our peers. She's like, mom. So we're waving. I'm like, okay, so is, is her taking your Lego a little bucket problem or a big bucket problem? She says, it's a little bucket problem. It's like, okay, so if it's a little bucket problem, how can we solve this problem? What can we do? That's one of my favorite questions to ask. How can we solve this problem? So I'm promoting problem solving skills and I'm modeling. So big bucket problems is when we're gonna ask an adult for help. But when they're learning this, I'm modeling what little bucket is and how to problem solve, like the steps to problem solve for themselves. So I said, how can we solve this problem? And she said, Rory, can I please have my Lego back? And then I go off of what's really happening. So like, I want Rory to give the Lego back. I want my littlest to give her the Lego back. But sometimes my littlest says, no, no, I'm using it. Okay. Okay. So that didn't work. What else could we do to solve this problem? And so then she um, goes to the Lego box and gets another Lego that matches the one that Rory took. She's like, I'll use this one and finish. And to add on to it, she's like, and I'm going to sit over here away from Rory. And was like super mad about it. It's like, that's, that's a great way to solve this problem. By finding another piece you need and creating some space. That's a, that's a great way to solve this problem. And so just as we go throughout our week or our days, when she has these really big reactions, when any of my kids do, we talk, is this a little bucket problem or is this a big bucket problem? And what we see with anxiety in ourselves and in our kids is we take little bucket problems and we react to them in a big bucket way where it becomes out of control and we start to spiral. So if we can pause and stop ourselves and say, Is this a little bucket problem or a big bucket problem? For example, I'm running late to one of my appointments and I'm starting to feel really stressed, which makes me feel irritable. I'm feeling rushed. I'm losing my temper with my kids because I'm getting anxious. Get your shoes on. Hurry up. Let's go get in the car. Get in the car. car. Okay. So what I'm doing is creating an anxious environment, which the kids are going to pick up on and eventually they'll do because they model. But instead, I'm going to pause. Is this a little bucket problem or a big bucket problem? What kind of reaction does this particular situation call for? Right? So being late, as much as I don't like to be late, I'm still going to get there. And the, the only natural consequence is that I'm going to be late. I had to think there for a second. Like, what were the natural consequences? So in reality, I was feeling really big bucket about it, but I can feel little bucket. I don't like being late. 
but the worst that's going to happen is that I'm late. And then we'll figure it out from there. And even if I have to reschedule, we'll figure it out from there. So that's one tool that I wanted to use to help you guys. The second one is, I think, one of the hardest things to do. And that is to not answer the what ifs. I'm not providing solutions. I'm not providing answers to the what if questions. And neither should you. So in this clickbait that I was talking about, how to stop feeling anxious right now, you click it and it's this article from psychology today. And it's like, oh, actually, you just need to be uncomfortable for a while and ride the wave. And then it won't feel as bad, which is true. Hey, anxiety is like this cult leader. Or you can think of it as like setting boundaries. I don't know how many of you guys have to set boundaries with adults that are emotionally immature, but it is rough, right? You set a boundary and then they react really big. They're not okay with it. But if you give in, like let's say Aunt Jude is super angry that you didn't go to family dinner on Sunday because you're expected to go to family dinner on Sunday. Like, it doesn't really bring me joy. I don't want to go to family dinner, so you don't. So then Aunt Jude's super mad. She's giving you the silent treatment. She's talking crap about you behind your back, right? Doing anything she can to make you feel uncomfortable, to make you feel worse, so that way next time you go to family dinner. So that's kind of like anxiety. Anxiety is Aunt Jude. So what we're doing is when you experience anxiety, you have questions. There's anxiety about a situation. We're not avoiding it. We're not avoiding the things that make us feel anxious. We are going to sit there, validate and acknowledge that we're feeling anxious. This makes me feel really uncomfortable. And as you consistently hold that boundary with yourself, the next time you encounter a situation where you're feeling anxious, you won't have as much intense anxiety. It's the same thing with our kids. Okay. So I took my seven-year-old on Sunday to learn how to sew. She's never sewn before. She was really excited. She's been asking to sew for a while. So I was like, yeah, I can come and teach you how to sew. It'll be fine. So then she starts asking me questions and she vocalizes it. Mom, I'm scared. So we're going to normalize it. Yeah, Layla, it's scary to try something new that we've never tried before. So mom, what if I break it? It can be scary thinking that we'll break something. Right. So the specific question she asked me that I avoided answering because it was laced with anxiety was, Mom, what happens if I accidentally sew my finger and it goes right through it? Instinctually, as a parent, we want to calm their fears and say, like, that won't happen. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll be really careful. When you do that, you are giving in to Aunt Jude. You're taking away the anxiety by trying to like give it solutions. That doesn't help. The next time that she goes to sew, she would feel just as anxious about potentially sewing her finger and less confident in her own skill set. We're trying to raise confident, capable, independent children. Okay. And so she said, mom, I'm really scared. What if I sew my finger and it goes right through it? And I said, what would we do? What would we do? She goes, well, I guess we would need to go to the hospital. I was like, then I will take you to the hospital. She's like, but I don't want to go to the hospital. I said, I don't really want to go to the hospital either. I didn't provide any answers 
And it doesn't necessarily feel good as a parent to just be like, yeah, that's a definite possibility. But it helps us both sit with the anxiety and ride the wave. So then she's sewing, she's sewing. She says, well, what if I break it? It's like, well, what would we do? She's like, I don't know. What if, what if I just broke it? It's like, well, sometimes things break. What would we do? Well, I guess we'll just have to figure out how to fix it. Like, yep, we'll learn how to fix it. Right? So by refusing to provide the solution, refusing to calm her anxiety, she's learning to calm it on her own without avoiding it. We're learning to sit with it, to be uncomfortable with it. I hear this a lot in the, um, was when they were younger, they used to say all the time, what time are we going to be there? What are we doing next? And then what are we doing? And then what are we doing? What are we doing after that? Like when we get to the point where our kids are asking specifically, like, what are we doing? And then what are we doing? And then what are we doing? The more that we feed into calming the anxiety, the more intense the anxiety response will get. So uh, then we are unintentionally feeding Aunt Jude until she is controlling our lives. So my second tip to stop feeling anxious right now or to unlearn awfulizing is don't provide the answers, just ride the wave. It's like, let's use this in our own life. Like, what happens if I'm late? What happens? You can talk to yourself. We do it all the time, people. But what happens? I guess they might need to reschedule the appointment, which would be really unfortunate. I don't want to, but they might have to reschedule. Or I'll just be late and I won't get as much time right? Or what happens if she sews her finger? That's a little bit of a bigger fear there. What happens if she sews her finger? Is that, am I going to let the anxiety of the potential of that happening keep me from teaching her this skill, from her learning this skill that she really wants to learn? Nope. So if she sews her finger, it's going to hurt a lot. I'll take her to the hospital. Hopefully that won't happen, but here we are. Okay. So we're promoting problem solving. We're riding the wave. When someone says, what if we respond? Well, what if, what can we do? So tip one, we're going to gauge reactions. We are teaching and categorizing little bucket and big bucket. For you guys that have really emotionally expressive kids or you're like, man, they go from zero to 100 so fast. This is a really good tool. And it's something that we use in therapy. Sometimes we use like a one through 10. Like, is this what what number through 10, one being not at all, 10 being a ton? Like, how big is this problem? And the kids are like, well, like a four. I'm like, okay, and screaming and breaking the mirror for this particular problem, like what number was that reaction? They're like, oh, like a 10. I was like, so if the problem is a four, should we react at a 10? No, right? So this is another way for you to coach and model that. Gauge reaction, little bucket problem, big bucket problem. And then how do we solve this problem? After your kiddo solves the problem, we are pointing out and acknowledging the specific things they did to solve the problem or the traits they learned and how they solved the problem. Tip number two, the what do we do? What if? 
We're not providing solutions. We're just riding the wave. What if I sew my finger? What would we do if you sewed your finger? What should we do? Okay. And so my last and final tip is skill building. And this is one of my favorites because Aunt Jude takes over whether we like it or not. A lot of the times we will have a lot of anxiety regarding a situation. And so what I want you to do is come up with a time that was similar, you felt anxious about, or your kiddo felt anxious about, and they were able to get through it successfully. That's what I want you to do. And then I want you to identify what made them successful and how they used it. So here's an example. I know a kiddo that went on an unaccompanied minor flight to go visit a family member and they felt super anxious the whole time. They could barely sleep, like they were so panicked, all this stuff. Then they flew back. So we talked about like, what did you learn about yourself on that trip? And then they made a list. I feel like I, I came back more confident. I feel like I was more mature. I feel like I learned how to calm myself when I needed to. Hey, so fast forward two weeks. They're about to go on this really long trip going to be challenging. It's a really long bus ride. They're feeling really anxious about it. So we reference back, hey, remember that time you flew on that airplane by yourself to go visit some family members? What were the things that you learned from that? How did that help you? What's something new you learned about yourself? More mature, you're more confident, you felt happier, you felt more able to manage your anxiety. It's like, well, this trip on this bus is a lot like the trip on that flight where we're feeling nervous. Now, what do you think it'll be like when you get back? What do you think you'll learn about yourself? Well, I think I'll come back more confident. I think I'll come back like better able to do it the next time. So you're going to identify a time when they did something really hard for them, where they felt really anxious and did it anyways. And we're going to identify how they did that. We're gonna ask the question, so how did you get through that? What did you learn about yourself? Or how were you successful, even though that felt really scary? Okay, and I want you to support them in picking out and identifying those specific characteristics and qualities. And then, we're going to use that. So this today, when you ride the bus by yourself, you feel really nervous. How can you use your maturity to help you get through that? Like, how can you use your bravery to help you get through that? How can you use your ability to control your anxiety better to get through that? And have that conversation. Because now they are problem solving their own anxiety. They're building confidence and resiliency in their own skill set to work through really hard stuff. Here's another really good example. So teaching your kids to ride a bike, right? Or like me. So I moved from Arizona to Idaho and I needed to apply for licensure in Idaho. And it's a whole process to work through, um, the idea of like licensing, mid-licensing, moving from one state to another as a counselor. It's not easy. So something I told myself was, I am not the first person to have done this and I will not be the last. This feels hard today, but I will learn the steps that I need to help other people through it later. 
So while it didn't feel good to not know what was happening or to do this really hard thing, I knew that I was going to be learning skills that would help me support another person going through the same thing. And that was my goal. I want to be able to coach and mentor other counselors who are going through similar transitions. I won't be the first. Or I'm not the first and I won't be the last. Or we use the bus ride example. Or we use the camping example. About the time that it felt really, really hard. Well, so Yuri's class is in kindergarten and they go on a lot of really difficult hikes. And so they did like a four mile round trip hike. And so they use that as an example of bravery. And they talked about how brave they were to hike up this mountain and back, even though it felt hard and all the things that they had learned about it. So now when she encounters something difficult at school, when it feels hard, the teacher asked, does this feel as hard as hiking carbonate? And the kids say, no, well, if we can hike carbonate, we can do this. And it gives them renewed confidence and resiliency to be able to tackle the, the thing that feels hard. So that's what I have for you guys today. One, we're going to gauge reactions. We're going to focus on little bucket problems, big bucket problems, and how do we solve these problems? Big bucket problems, things that we need adult help with. Small bucket problems are things we try to solve on our own and how can we solve them? we're building confidence. We're building confidence and resiliency. And I want you guys to apply this to yourself too as a parent. How can you build confidence and resiliency and acknowledge those characteristics, strengths, and values that you have cultivated in yourself to get where you are today? You're a badass or you wouldn't be here. You have learned a lot. Life has taught you things. So I want you to acknowledge what a badass you are and what characteristics you have that are going to help you be successful when you encounter this next hard thing. Okay. So big bucket, little bucket. Next one, the what ifs. We're going to welcome it. We're going to welcome the what ifs. We're going to say, what would we do? And what if that does happen? What do we do? Right. And then the third one is we're going to skill build. Right, we're going to identify the qualities and characteristics that help us be a badass and how we'll use them to continue being a badass. If y'all have had a kid, y'all adopted a kid, y'all fostered a kid, you're a badass and you've learned some stuff in that process. You have to gain some vital characteristics, vital qualities to help you get through that. So embrace them. And as you continue to do these things, you will decrease the amount you are awfulizing and you will help support your kids in not awfulizing also. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, Creating Community and Smashing Parental Stigma. Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.